Let's get you fired up. Financially independent, retire early. If you're a small business, professional, or entrepreneur, and you're looking for a way to stand out amongst your competition, then this is the podcast for you. We focus on relevant digital marketing strategies and tools to help you stand out in your industry and become the market leader in your profession. Hey, we don't hold back on this podcast. We say it like it is. And sometimes you may not like what you're hearing, but I guarantee you, you'll know the information given is truly what you need to do to take your business to the next level. So hang tight because you're about to be fired up with me, Krista Mayshore. Hey everyone, it's Krista Mayshore here. Are you ready to be fired up? Because I sure am. I have Aaron A. I'll let you, him tell you how to say his last name. He is the host of one of the biggest real estate podcast, real estate rock stars, as well as doing many amazing other things. This guy owns more property than anyone I've ever met before, and he's going to teach you how to do it too. Aaron, welcome. Hey, thanks for letting me come on. The uh, We had so much fun interviewing you on my podcast um, last month, and we, you and I were talking, and by the end of it, we had to like stop the recording because we're like, it's been an hour. I need to like cut this off, so uh, make sure I, I follow up with my commitments there. But we could have kept talking, so I knew that we'd be able to finish some of that conversation here. Ew, we had such a great time. I don't say that, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to do a podcast, but we just kept going and going. So everyone, the last time I talked to Aaron, he was actually going to the MMA fights, like, and he bought like the biggest package ever and he was on stage. So I want, I want him to tell you about the process. So tell me, how was that? The, so we went to UFC Vegas, so is UFC 264 in Las Vegas. There was, um, yeah, so it was, it's awesome, like VIP package. Now, part of why we did it now, when I first saw the ad that said 60,000 people live back in Vegas, like, we're doing this. Vegas is open again, man. I cannot wait. You know, part of why we're living in Austin, Texas is the, is life has been, um, you know, we had a, we, we, we got slowed down a lot for like five, six months, but in general, my wife and I hunger for events. We hunger for like normalcy. We hunger for being shoulder to shoulder. And there's, was this fear for a while that it would never happen again. We would never again be in a room with that many people. We would never again feel safe. We would never again feel okay. And I tell you what, like I, everyone that was in Las Vegas was feeling the same way. So that weekend of UFC, we had UFC going on and it was Conor McGregor and Justin Poirier. And McGregor is like the, you know, he, everyone loves him. So he brings a bunch of people in. Plus there was like a Garth Brooks concert and Justin Bieber was doing a concert there. There was so many different things that brought, I don't know, like a million people uh, to Las Vegas that weekend. And it was so much fun. And it was, you know, getting to do events. There's a, uh, a buddy of mine named John Vroman. He's got a book called The Front Row Factor. He runs the Front Row Foundation. The premise of that whole thing, he, he they, they create events for kids that like, uh, have like someone's dying of cancer, but the Make-A-Wish Foundation says no. His Aww. foundation helps out. The premise of it was he remembered going to a concert in the back row and seeing the people in the front row really having this awesome time, like screaming and dancing and high-fiving. And he was thinking, how different is that experience than mine? We took that to heart. So every time we do any event, we do front row, we do as big as we can, we do whatever whatever they'll like let us do. And through talking to some people at the UFC, it was also my wife and my 15-year anniversary First time she had ever gone to Vegas with me. And like, I've gone to Vegas a lot of times, but it was her first time coming to me, even though with me, even though we'd been married for 15 years, that I really want to do it up the whole VIP experience all weekend. So yeah, so during the weigh-in, like on ESPN, you see McGregor on stage and you see me over to the right. Like I'm on stage, there's eight of us. On oh my gosh. And I've got a picture as, as Dustin's coming off stage right next to him. And the, and it was so super fun, like super exhilarating, especially too, as you're looking around at one of this hugely televised event, so many people there again. And so it was a cool way to really kick off going back and having these experiences and um, met a whole bunch of fun people. The other cool thing about doing stuff, VIP and doing events for any of your listeners, right? So people that are in business, that event won't end up costing me anything. So tell me how, so first of all, what did it cost you? Is that inappropriate to ask? I, I have to know, like, what did it cost you? So I won't say for that, for that specific, like just what that part of the ticket was, but that whole weekend is like a 40, $50,000 weekend. 
Oh, right? that's worth so, it, I think, yeah. So we also got, we were also first front row at, or second row at Justin Bieber, you know, the, the night later. But like, yeah, if you do masterminds and things like that, it's easy to say that. Now, there'll be some people that hear me say that and they're like, you spent what to go have a weekend in Vegas? I can't but believe But talk it. about how you just said how it's paying for itself. It didn't cost you anything. So that's what I'm not good at. And so explain that. <laughs> yeah. So the, and and now some people paid 100,000 for the weekend or 150. But the reality is, is if you go to these events, you are going to meet a ton of different people. You're going to, you're going to meet a ton of people. And so I've got a little bit of a, a cough that I got in Vegas. So that's a fun, fun joke that happened later. Um, so the, but you, but you sit next to the same people that are, that are spending a lot of money to be at these high level experiences. You're on stage with these other people that are successful people that spend a lot of money for these high end experiences. Well, you share this fun experience with them. You instantly become really good friends with them. And the, and so when networked properly, when now you're like, oh, now, now I'm, I'm hanging out with and texting back and forth with a guy that, you know, that does, you know, this, this business over in Florida. And it's like, oh, and now I know this guy that does this business up in Colorado. And this guy wants to start investing in, in real estate investing. And this guy is just trying to lend more money. You, you create all these like friendships and things at those levels. But the key, whenever you spend a lot of money to go to an event is everybody else there is spending a lot of money too which means uh -huh. they have the ability to do it. They have the success in business to do it. The key though, is then capitalizing on that relationship. Mm -hmm. Now You've created this authentic relationship with them anyway. The biggest thing is just to remember when you go home, just to, a few weeks later, like shooting a text, like, Hey, it, you know, it was fun hanging out. Like one of them is like, Hey, remember when you come to Miami, let's hang out. You know, we'll, we'll get the, we'll, we'll get our families together. It's like, yeah, no problem. All that happens is so it it won't pay for itself, you know, this month or six months from now or this year, but there will be some sort of a deal that I will do with somebody that I hung out with in Vegas just from creating that relationship and be, and and like being an authentic friend. There will be something that happens later that it totally pays itself back and and, and we get more than that. Whether it's a it, likely because I do so much in real estate, likely it's going to be some sort of a partnership of somebody bringing me a deal or buying a deal with me or investing in a deal with me that comes back tenfold. So that is very, very true. And I think that's with me. One thing I like to do when I meet people is I like to, when they tell me, oh, I love like, you know, Snickers, or I like, you know, this certain brand, I always write it down under my, in my contacts in their name under the, like the notes. Yeah. So that and I try to really listen for things that people tell me. And then I can, so I can do a special cool kind of a gift or something that that really relates to something that they said, you know what I mean? That is, it's such a great way to do the, that's, it's authentic. It's, it's hard to have authentic relationships with hundreds of people, but the, and then you all also think you're going to remember that stuff. Like when they tell you they like Snickers in your brain, you're like, oh yeah, I won't forget that. But you need you to do. write it down. You need to put it in your contacts or in a spreadsheet there. Actually, when I came back from Vegas, I actually started looking out there to see, is there an app? that actually helps people keep track of all that stuff that actually helps make sure, you know, like I have a CRM for my customers. Somebody comes and signs up for my foreclosure site. They're going to get a text message. They're going to get a phone call in three weeks. They're going to get another one. They're going to get a bunch of emails. And then six months from now, they're going to get a little email that said like, Hey, is there anything else we can help you with? Right. That looks just, or, or a text message that says, Hey, can we help you with anything? Relationships, I think can be done the same, can be done the same way, should be done the same way to enhance them because it reminds us to like do that outreach. I don't, I haven't found a technology based solution yet for that, but it's the same concept of a drip campaign for a recurring revenue type business mm -hmm. with relationships because it's it just like in real estate, you're staying top of mind, you're having these conversations. And then when you go to that city, they remember to come hang out with you. And the best business deals I've ever done were just from friends that neither of us had any intention of doing deals together. And a few years later at random, we were like, oh, well, maybe we should do that one together. Yeah, yeah. And especially because you also, too, you kind of develop a little bit of trust from from some, from some the person because you've, you're meeting on a, on a level that's not intended for that, right? So it's like, and you like each other just because you like each other. And then it just makes it, I think I feel like it makes it more just easier, you know? Oh yeah. And especially when the relationship starts with just plain experiences, like personal experiences that have nothing to do with business, but it's always just something we end up talking about. It's always mm -hmm. natural. Well, what do you do? How did you end up here? How are we yeah. on? How are we sitting on stage next to each other during, you know, well, who even won that fight? I don't even know who won. Did McGregor win? McGregor lost. So McGregor <laughs> lost the, uh, he was by far the crowd favorite. I was shocked when they announced McGregor, the room is so excited. When they announced Poirier, they the crowd just starts booing like crazy. And I could not believe it. 
because Poirier won the last one. He's a big fighter, great man. He's a great guy. Like, and um, why is that? Do you at, think at the very end of the first round, though, um, McGregor kicks him. He he blocks it with an elbow, breaks his leg. He goes to stand back up again. He's standing there, and all of a sudden, his leg just folds out from under him. He breaks uh, McGregor's leg. Yeah. So the oh, so McGregor, McGregor had kicked him, and his shin like landed against his elbow. And then McGregor came back down. Is standing there, not knowing. Oh my what happened, god! And all of a sudden, his leg just folds over, and you're like, ah. So that was it. That was it. The they'll they'll fight again in probably 18 months. But I would say, and it wasn't like Rocky. Rocky would have done it on one leg. He would have like. <laughs> yeah, they were both wanting to keep fighting. It was very. Um, yeah, it was a really awesome weekend and a really awesome day, but the end was very anticlimactic for so many people. Uh, because it was only one thing? I had no idea, too, how many, how much people invest in betting on fights. Really? Like I had so many conversations with people that had bet $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 for, on McGregor to win. And as so soon was as, McGregor the underdog? Um, McGregor lost the last fight. Um, so McGregor was the underdog uh, as far as the official ranking of it. Uh, the first time they fought, McGregor beat him. Last time, you know, McGregor loses, but it was the first time McGregor had fought in a long time. And he had kind of said, Oh, I was off practice. I wasn't, I'm going to come back and take this serious. Yeah. He trained really well. They were, I mean, the first, that first round, they were pr really pretty even. It was a really fun fight to watch, but oh, you got, that sucks. That is so. Like, well, looking over at the guys next to me that bet like a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars on McGregor to win, and then as soon as his leg breaks, my wife and I are disappointed that the fight's over. These guys are about to puke, and they like have to just run out of there afterward. And you're just like, oh yeah, there's big. It's not some people aren't just having fun here. Some people, it's a business. Yeah, so they so they lost a lot of money. Oh man, that's crazy. Okay, so we kind of off got off on a tangent, but there was a lot of lessons to be learned from that, which is. When you do things, think about the people that, that are around you. And are you looking to transform your business? Well, if the answer is yes, then you don't want to miss out on our intensive event starting soon for only $97. This event is jam packed full days of live coaching with me. We have breakout sessions to customize and implement our daily trainings so that you can actually utilize them into your business. We're going to give you the training to craft your personal strategy to convert your leads into long-term clients. So let's go. What are you waiting for? Register now. Can't wait to see you there. And let's transform your business. How can you literally like listen to what they're telling you and keep conversations open and relationships open because you never know what might happen in the future. So always, always think about that. There's, I, there's something I always say to my students. You're always in a job interview. Well, hey, it's like even at a, something like that, you're kind of on a job interview, right? Like you never know what can happen as far as what happens later on. You're always on a job interview and, and experiences are the best ways to create memories with people because, and the whole rest of the weekend too, we had a lot of friends in town from other places. And so we would, we would book these little mini events throughout the weekend, invite everybody to come. We have these awesome experiences together and it just solidifies those friendships and relationships and everything we do. Business is always part of personal as well. So yeah, you're what, always, what other little events did you do? Give me some other ideas. So there would, uh, getting to, um, there was a, a concert middle of the day. So it was like buying a, a booth at one of the clubs. So like 10 or 12 people could go. So you're saying, Hey, come to this, uh, come to this concert with us. Um, you know, you'll be able to come. You're just totally invited when you get there. It's just another like VIP little experience. Um, at it was supposed to be McGregor's after party. We had also booked like this private lounge at one of the clubs that had its own private pool and stuff like that with it. Yeah. So we invited 16 people to that. McGregor obviously didn't come to his, after party, but we still had a really fun experience with everybody there. So just excuses to say Vegas is also one of the key places of like VIP experiences. So if you want yeah. to have a fun experience, it's going to be really memorable for people. So we, yeah, we did like four or five throughout the weekend and Ooh, fun, like, fun, like fun. chain smokers was the daytime, you know, band like, Oh, chain smokers can come play at this club. So we got one of the, you know, the couches that were right by there, invite friends to come in and just have some fun experiences. Ooh, I wish I was there. I would have been like, can I go? You, should, you were there the week before. You should. Well, I know we were. Been, we were sitting uh, in. We were sitting at. Uh, it was the Cosmo, and we saw like a thing about you know McGregor go, babe, like McGregor's fighting, and he and he like he likes McGregor too for some reason. I don't know why he's the, but yeah. Okay, so tell everybody a little bit more about you, Aaron A. For first of all, how do you say your, your nah, um, last, my last name? Is name is Amucha Stegi. So it's one of a kind. If you start typing in though, like 
Aaron. So Aaron is easy. It's simple. A-A-R-O-N. My parents did that because they knew my last name was so hard uh, that they should give me an easy first name. But if you start typing like A-M-U, so Aaron A-M-U, Google will autofill the rest uh, out there, but it's Amucha Stegi. So um, you and I got to first meet on the Real Estate Rockstars podcast. So I'm the, I'm the host and owner of that podcast. And we interview real estate agents. And we'll say it's the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. Plus we have some classes and things like that to train new agents to like get listings, how to succeed, you know, things like that. It's like a, it's a very low dollar, low ticket, like 49 or 99 bucks a month for some classes. Right. That's that's how you and I first met. The funny part about that conversation, though, is we were sharing stories about, you know, the early 2000s and like the foreclosure uh, craziness of Northern California. So it's also from Northern California. Originally, I live in Austin, Texas. Now I love being out in Austin. I do miss the weather of Northern California. In 2005, I was a home builder in San Luis Obispo, like Santa Barbara area, Southern California. It was awesome. We were, you know, building houses in 50 days. They would sell as soon as we put them on the market. I was golfing two or three days a week. It was a really unfair expectation of what my life was going to be. I graduated from college in construction management, got this awesome job, was making lots of money and golfing more than I was working. And then the housing market crashed and life sucked really fast for a lot of people. And we got pay cuts and we started doing manual labor again on these jobs. I moved up to Sacramento where the home builder that I was working for, that's where they were based out of. We didn't see as much turmoil down in Santa Barbara, but in Sacramento, man, we Ooh, saw a crash. Like 90%. In Atwater, there were these houses that were, these model homes were like 700,000. And at the end, we were selling them for 100,000. Yeah, I and, know. And and I don't know where your listeners are, but just think about that for a second. Like, it's, there are plenty of places where there's crashes throughout the U.S., but very few like Northern California where the crash was literally a 70 to 80% price reduction. People will tell you now when they're predicting real estate, like, hey, it might go down. We might see a little correction. We might see it go down a little. Or we might see it go up a little. I have all sorts of opinions on that, but we saw crazy crashes back in 07, 08, 09. It was unfathomable. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I, you know, I can't do anything anymore. I start, I discovered courthouse step purchases in Sacramento. At that time, there was only three other guys that were doing it. No one would tell you how to do it. We were like reading lender law on how to do it. We bought our first house at auction. When we bought it, everybody was like, oh my God, I can't believe you bought that. We were terrified. We had already thought we were going to lose all our money. Um, long story short, it worked out. We Two weeks later, we ended up buying the, the deed showed up and we owned the house. We flipped it and we sold it and we had multiple offers on it. And we were like, oh my gosh, we figured out what the niche was. Prior to that, we were trying to buy REOs off MLS and like fix them and sell them, but the we couldn't figure out why the listing agents would always say, it's already an escrow. Somebody else bought it. Well, they had their own buddies they were selling it to. Yeah. We, just, we didn't know. We were new, we were newbies. But now there was so much fraud going on. Let me just back up a bit. So first of all, it's crazy. So my daughter lives in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. I am 50 minutes from Sacramento, right? So I live in I I Antioch Brentwood Oakley area. So I'm sure you know where that is. Yeah. So what he's saying, I mean, we and and Sacramento and my area were exactly the same as far as you know how much it crashed. Like we were, we, every single home between seventy five and eighty percent, we went down. Right, yeah. every real estate agent in you know out of a hundred real estate agents, two agents would make it because they actually have the, the foreclosures and, and the short and the areas. Right, and what you're saying about you know agents in the REO business, there was so much fraud going on. I remember I tried to buy a house before, and it's like. Wait a minute! I offered you seventy thousand more. Why? Why is it? Oh well, she bought it. You know, it's like that kind of thing happened so often back then. And then I actually did. My husband and I were trying to go to the courthouse steps, and we were trying to purchase. We'd spend all. We had property uh, radar, right? We we spent all this time like checking out houses, and we the day before we check the deed, and we we do all this running, and then we had somebody who was helping us like bid and then he would I'd be like well wait a minute I gave you 300,000 on that house why did it sell for you know 240 when I told you I gave you 300 because they had this scheme the scam going on down at the courthouse okay. which now those guys are all in, were in jail forever yeah <laughs> you know? they might they might have just got out like some of them might have gotten yeah. out there was you know there's the world has fraud that happens and it gets to be so frustrating and the frustrating part too when you see it is it's like sometimes it's so obvious and you're like, is there nothing I can do? And we were so young in the business. We felt like, well, like, all right, we're getting kicked out of this area. Let's go figure out where we can go next. I remember writing offers to the REO agents. We were like scouring MLS. It would come active. 
like like house comes listed a hundred thousand and we're and every other time it was too slow so we finally had it set up where as soon as it came active we write the offer it's twenty thousand over cash we send it in four minutes after the listing comes up and the guy says sorry we've already accepted another offer and it's like you liar right yeah. Now, those guys that had those listings, they crushed it. They made so much money. And then their friends they were selling it to made so much money. And we realized there was this hustle with REOs that the, that the listing agents would tell the bank, oh, it's only worth 200 because yeah. it would make their job really easy if they listed at 200 because then they could get multiple offers and sell it really quickly. Well, not only that, but they were, they, they were pocketing. And back then, they were pocketing. I mean, I, I can't remember how it happened so much. Finally, they got smart, the banks, and it's like, you know, you, you have to submit every offer, right? They make you put it in the portal and every single one of them, but they're, it's like, yeah, everyone yeah, knew that was wrong. Yeah. The big banks started, yeah, everyone knew it was wrong, every, but the, but that listing agent had all the power. There was an old show called 99 homes that talked a lot about the foreclosure. It's, it's kind of about the foreclosure crisis based in Modesto during that time. It's kind of fun. If somebody wants to learn, it's like cheaply made, but a really good story about what we saw. And then at auction we were doing, so we found, we discovered auction because at auction where we were, no one could actually kick us out, right? Like they could, whether, whether they want to or not, and there were still tricks that would happen, but if you kept bidding more than the other person, as long, if you showed yeah. up a minute late, they would have sold to somebody else. You know, if you, there was all sorts of ways they could make it to where you hadn't, but that fraud thing that you're talking about, I remember going down to San Joaquin. We were mostly in Sacramento. We wanted to go check out the San Joaquin market and we showed up and we were the new guy there and we were getting outbid by like 20, 30, $40,000. And we couldn't figure it out because we were like yesterday, the prices were selling for a lot less. And we looked on, on foreclosure radar. We thought we were totally going to be competitive and we're getting outbid. And then later the story comes out that whenever new people would come in, they would pay way more than they needed to for houses. So new people would leave. And then that way, when nobody was there, they could take turns. So when the opening bid comes out for 200,000 with the bank, they would say, nobody bid. I'm just going to get it for a dollar over. So one person would buy it for 200,000 instead of it getting bid up to 300. And then the three of them would go do another auction. They would share in the deal. Yeah. So a bunch of money. It was totally illegal. Most people don't realize that bidding collusion is illegal. So if you look at a deal with somebody, you say, I'm not going to bid on this one. So you can bid on it instead. That's illegal. That's a crime. That's a big deal. Yeah. And, uh, and people didn't, I mean, it was so weird back then. Uh, but it was, I mean, it makes for great war stories now and when i heard about what happened down there it made a lot more sense i was a lot less confused about like what had happened but yeah well, it's I, funny, uh, so what, I bought a house once and literally the house had, was on fire they're like you just bought a house that was on that caught on fire i'm like no i did not they're like yeah so so it was my first one i had ever bought right and so i i remember driving down the street and going oh my god it is on fire but before once i had sold bought the house a man came up to me he's like hey would you like to sell that to me we'll give you twenty thousand over and I think he was like an undercover trying to like see if I would do it. And I, I didn't know that was wrong to do. Right. I would have said, sure. But I was like, no, it's cool. We got it. You know, I think we're just going to, you know, thank goodness I didn't say yes. Cause I think if I would have said yes, I think that would have been wrong too, but we had no idea, you know? So I just think like the, the universe was looking out for us to keep us safe. We ended up finally quitting because it was like, it was just too much work, you know? So it was hard. It was a hard business. I, I liked the foreclosure business for a lot of years. I ended up flipping a bunch of houses out there. We flipped a thousand houses in, in uh, Northern California. We would put you know, a lot, we raised a lot of money with people. We'd go to like nine auctions on the same day and we'd see all sorts of stories. We'd buy houses that were half burnt down. We found one that people were like the worst stories you could think of. We had of the things that you would find and the things that had happened in houses. We'd also had some of the best stories. Sometimes you unlock the door and it's amazing and you open the door and it's perfect. So I did really well during that time. And then in 2013, all the big hedge funds started coming in. They came and even talked to me. They're like, Hey, come to work for us. I was way too cocky. I thought, you know, these guys will never put us out of business. Why would I go work for somebody else? I'm a business owner. I'm, I, you know, we were, we're our own brokerage too. We're doing so well. Well, they put us out of business. And I lost all the money that I had saved. So during that time, I was How did you lose all that money. That, you, oh, I, yeah. Right. It's crazy, right? So over a million dollars in cash. And what happened was overhead. So during 2013, I had a bunch of drivers. I had company cars. We had health plans. We had an office. Everybody would show up every morning and get checks, drive to auction. Well, we went from buying 20, 30, 40 houses a month to none. So, and every time you like almost win and the nature because of- Because the hedge funds were buying all the stuff from the from the banks in like bulk. 
Yes, they were buying it all. They were just paying more at auction every time. But so every time you only get outbid by three or four thousand. So you're like, okay, I almost got one today. I almost got one today. Almost. And the nature of auction is you, you know, you have four or five days in a row and then you get one. Four or five days in a row, then you get one. Well, I went 12 months without getting any. I remember calling my wife and saying, hey, I need you to transfer some money from your account in so I can make payroll. And she goes, I'm out of money. And I went, what? Oh, geez. So my big lesson that I learned during that time, I was, I was, so the next year, we had about a year and a half of like, very sad times of going, how do you go from making a ton of money to not, how did I miss this giant opportunity? Because now we can't compete because the hedge funds will just outbid us. Um, and I remember thinking back, like I should have just kept a hundred of those houses. And if I had just kept a hundred of those houses, then I would be set for the rest of my life. And instead of flipping them, I hadn't learned the art of investing. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any masterminds. I didn't know anyone else that was successful with money. And so no one had taught me to invest. I kind of thought like, oh, I'm making this much money every month. I'm going to make that much money every month anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I learned that I should have invested. In 2015, I discovered the Texas market. Nobody was doing foreclosures out there at the time. I got, I was kind of there by accident. And I went out there to buy an apartment complex that I had been looking at. And I got cold. But how did you have the money to buy the apartment complex when you lost everything? I had a line of credit. So I had a line of credit left. And, okay. and so when all, everything went crazy, I had bought one apartment complex in a town called Colleen, Texas back in like 2011. The only investment I had essentially in 2013 when I was like broke was this apartment complex that I bought during 2011. So 2013, 2014, we're having a really sad time, you know, and 2015, a lady calls me who is the real estate agent on that apartment complex. And she said, hey, there's another apartment complex for sale. You should look at it. I look at it. I get the title report and the title report says it's scheduled for foreclosure next month. And I got, and I went, oh, this is really interesting. I've got the rent rolls. I've got the title report. I would have never thought about buying an apartment complex on the courthouse steps, but I have all the info. Maybe I should. I, uh, at that time, we're still broke, but I've got a line of credit that my dad had started, you know, with this bank before we died. We just didn't have a way to actually buy houses. So we weren't using it. So we take cash out on the line, on the line of credit. I fly out there. I get my Southwest flight. The uh, auction happens and I get cold feet. I don't bid on it. And I call my wife and I'm like, I chickened out. I got scared. I haven't been, I, I hadn't bought a house now in like two years. Yeah, yeah. And she goes, what? Like we couldn't even afford the Southwest flight, right? Why did you fly out there? <laughs> and so I'm like kicking myself. Are you looking to transform your business? Well, if the answer is yes, then you don't want to miss out on our intensive event starting soon for only $97. This event is jam packed. Full days of live coaching with me. We have breakout sessions to customize and implement our daily trainings so that you can actually utilize them into your business. We're going to give you the training to craft your personal strategy to convert your leads into long-term clients. So let's go. What are you waiting for? Register now. Can't wait to see you there and let's transform your business. And then while I'm sitting there, I look back and another auctioneer shows up and he sells like 40 houses one after another and nobody bids on them. I'm the only one standing there. And he's like, this house for 40 grand, this house for 50 grand. And I went, oh my God, this is like California 2009. Yes. There's no one here. And I just saw 50 houses go to sale. I flew out the next month. Uh, I bought some houses. I drove the houses before. I bought them. I drove to Home Depot afterward, got the drill, drilled out the locks. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got this big opportunity again. I started, uh, so... 2015. So you had an angel on your side for that. Yeah, angel on my side, totally. And I had learned all these lessons. So this time, yeah, I bought 10 houses the next month and I got loan. I kept them as rentals and I got loans on them. And then I did it again the next month and I did it again the next month. And I start, I did that every month since 2015. And I said, the market will never go up in Texas. And in 2020, the market went up in Texas. So I've got, I've been really, really lucky on my Texas investments. Um, and how many properties do you own out there? A thousand, right? Over a thousand? No, I own about 500. Five. About 500 houses. And aren't they all, there's no loans on any of them, right? The Some of them have partners on them and some of them have loans, but some of them are also paid off. They've, they've doubled and tripled in value. So we, we definitely have debt and on, and we have partnerships, but the way that they've doubled and tripled stuff is, it's been fan, it's been crazy. It's been just absolutely crazy, absolutely lucky the way that it turned out. Another uh, one fun little story I want to add, you know, and may, and who knows how it'll help your your podcast people. I remember in 2013 sitting at auction in California. When I started auction in California, there was three of us bidding on 100 properties. Right? It was amazing. And then in 2013, there was 100 people bidding on three properties. 
And I remember saying the only person winning here today is the guy that built foreclosure radar. Yeah. The built the software because all hundred people were paying 50 bucks a month or a hundred yeah. bucks a month for that data. I used to pay for it. And I actually yeah. know him. He was, he's a smart guy. Yeah. yeah Sean, Sean O'Toole. Is yeah, Sean, Sean O'Toole. Yeah. Brilliant man. If you want to hear real estate predictions, have him on your podcast because he, he predicted. Uh, will you, will you, will you introduce me? I haven't talked to him for so long. He actually lives in my area. I... Yeah. He lives, Sean lives up in Truckee right now. I'll totally right. introduce you to him. He is a, he's a, he's a brilliant guy. He has rebuilt property radar to this national thing for agents and investors. Great friend of mine. Um, and yeah, you'll want to have him come on for predictions because he predicted the dot-com bubble. He sold all of his real estate in California in 2005. Uh, he invented foreclosure radar in 2007, two years. Okay, I want, to, I, want to, I want to interview him. Yeah, super. So, so I was like, this guy's a smart one. In Texas in 2017, I bought the foreclosure listing company in Texas. So uh, I was a customer. And then I said, that was my ultimate hedge was I said, someday I won't be able to buy houses in, in Texas anymore at auction because there'll be a hundred bidders again. Eventually there'll be a hundred bidders at this place where today there's only three. So I, and that's so, what happened, right? That's, and that's what happened. So I own the foreclosure radar version in Texas. It's called Roddy's foreclosure listing service. So now this last year, I stopped being able to buy houses on the courthouse steps because there's been so much fewer foreclosures and there's like a hundred people at every auction trying to buy them. But the cool thing now is we're the ones selling them the software. So I got to learn a bunch of stuff. So even though I lost everything in 2013, after working so hard for like 2009, 2012, I learned so much that I, like life and God gave me a second chance. Like once I learned those lessons and so I got to start over, I got to do it again in 2015 and 2017. Like what's the stuff that you missed? It was totally like Groundhog's Day. And now I'm just super grateful. I, I like teaching everybody my secrets. Like we have a super cheap how to buy houses book. And I say super cheap because it's like 10 bucks and every one of my secrets is in there. And people are like, do you do coaching? Do you do anything else? No, we sell the products, we sell the software, but mostly I just love being able to talk to people that are now succeeding. So tell the name of the book so people could. Um... So it's called Bidding to Buy. So uh, Bigger Pockets is my publisher. Uh, a lot of people have heard of the, the Bigger Pockets podcast. So it's called Bidding to Buy, and it's the secrets of, of buying houses on the courthouse steps. And the concept is buying upstream a little bit more. Like it's hard to buy REO houses listed on the MLS because that's where the competition is. It's about trying to find houses where there's no competition. Yeah, so, that's all. and do they still exist now? The so does. Do auctions still exist? Those type of houses, like finding those type of houses. Yeah, you have to go even further upstream now. Where So they still exist, but at the other side now is the trick is finding somebody and all the new technologies. So before somebody stops making their mortgage payment, a lot of people buy that list and they go knock on the door and they say, you stopped paying your mortgage. Sell me your house instead because you have equity. Because also everyone has equity right now. Mm -hmm. And so why wouldn't someone, say, you know, they owe 80. Why wouldn't they sell me the house for 100 even if it's worth 150 because they only have three weeks per auction. But before they stop making their payments, they usually like stop mowing their lawn. And then the city starts fining them for not mowing their lawn. So that's like this new level of lead where people are like, they want to find city liens. So what, where, what's a house that the city has been fining them for not mowing their lawn? Or what's a house where they stopped paying their water bill three months ago? Because they usually, there's usually these other trends that happen first. So the big trend in real estate is trying to find houses six months before they go into foreclosure. If somebody stopped paying their water bill, they've stopped paying their property taxes or they've stopped mowing their lawn, then they are, and they have equity, then they're a prime person to go try to buy the house from direct instead. Cause they don't care anymore. Like if Why wouldn't somebody like just put the house on the market because it's such a crazy hot market and just say, no, I'm just going to sell it regular. Most people would, but you'd be amazed at how many people are still super overwhelmed by that process. Like mm -hmm. you coach real estate agents, real yeah. estate all day long should be telling people I'm a real estate agent. You'd be amazed how many people say they don't know a real estate agent. There'll be so <laughs> many, people, they don't know a single real estate agent. They don't have a single person in their network to ask. I saw a guy make a post on Facebook last week and he said, Hey, does anyone want to list my house for me for sale? I just need a real estate agent that'll answer the phone and do this. And nobody replied on his thing. And no, he's like, here's a free listing. And nobody made a comment. I've never seen that. I always see 8 million people respond. Yes, because you're a real estate agent and you're doing, you know, and you make sure everybody knows that you are. So, um, so why wouldn't someone hire an agent? One is they might not have one that they trust yet. So there's a huge opportunity for that. Two, they're overwhelmed or they're embarrassed. They don't want to call the agent and say, hey, my house is actually a wreck. I don't have the money to move my stuff out of the house. I stopped mowing the lawn, but I know I've got 50,000 in equity. Can you help me? They would rather sell to somebody else like discreetly and even move in the middle of the night. Like they don't want to, they don't even want yeah. to tell neighbors some of the time that they're moving. 
You know, what's crazy is my neighbor. Okay. So I live in a, in a really nice area in discovery Bay and it's like on water. And, um, my neighbor, all of a sudden a moving van is in his driveway. And I was like, what in the heck is going on? Well, he's actually a real estate agent too. And he rent, he didn't even own the house. He was renting it, but he was at, we, he was acting like it was his own house. I was so shocked. I'm like, what happened? He's like, well, you know, we were renting, it was rent to own. And then we, you know, ended up, you know, not working out. We couldn't buy it at the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, like just crazy stuff happens. You're, you're right. Crazy you know, happens and people don't want to, and people are embarrassed. Like nobody wants to that say sucks. like, I lost my job six months ago. So now I'm in foreclosure. I know I have equity in this thing, but is there any way you could sell it in the next three weeks? Cause that's the other thing that happens with, you know, in California, if you stop making your payment, not, you get a 90 day notice that says in 90 days, you're going to get foreclosed on. In Texas, you get a notice that has, it says in 21 days, you're getting foreclosed on. Wow. So you payment, your auctions in three weeks. That's not necessarily, like that's enough time to get a deal kind of, but not enough time to like prep it on MLS. Oh no, yeah, baby, yeah. Sale, yeah. FHA loan or something. I mean, rules are different now. Like they're not, foreclosures aren't going to be coming back anytime soon. Like the, the moratorium's up this month, but they'll, they're going to make it to where lenders for the next like 90 days have to offer modifications. Uh, the, the government, they're, they're going to do everything they can to not have a slew of foreclosures. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, no, that, that, and thank goodness because I was, oh God, it was horrible. I used to have to knock on people's doors and be like, Hey, I'm sorry, but your house got foreclosed on. And I'm, I'm actually glad it was me that did it because I was so gracious about it, you know, and we did everything. My, my husband and I would help him move. We did everything we could for these people. We actually got, have gotten a lot of business since then. They were like, you were so nice when you foreclosed on us. I'm like, yeah. oh, cause I, you know, I remember this one man, his, his, his mom got foreclosed upon and we just took such good care of her. And we actually ended up selling her house and double ending it, you know, later on. Cause he was like, you were so good to my mom. We always do that. We needed to sell, we were going to call you. So, yes. um, so a couple lessons here that you, I want to point this out. So a couple lessons. Number one is that you had everything and then you lost it all, lost right? Lost everything. Then you did it again. You literally had everything again and lost it all again. But it, you still, even though you had those two losses, number one, when you had an opportunity to buy the, to buy the apartment and you didn't, like you got scared, right? Mm -hmm. But, and which you probably should have looking back, right? But because you didn't, you you were open to see this new opportunity of how 40 houses just sold an hour and no one bought it and realized, oh my gosh, but you took action and we resourceful and you found a way then to turn that into something. And all the while you did just what you had said before you would do, I'm going to buy houses myself now. And then also you were predicting what was going to happen. So you took action about the software. So it's like you really, really learned from what you did wrong and modified and adjusted your behavior and took risks, but the risks were more calculated because you had learned the lessons from the past. So even though those failures seem like failures, really they weren't because now you're crushing it more than ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I loved your summary of that right now, Krista, because I tend to skip over the, um, the action part of it a little bit. And when you think about that action part, we were, we were broke right? And it was like putting a flight on Southwest on a credit card and then like getting the line of credit set up and flying out to Texas at a time. Back then I was terrified of flying, right? Now I, I have flown 100,000 miles a year and, and it's not. But at that time, like me flying out to Texas, I actually flew to Dallas and then did a three-hour drive down to Colleen instead of flying to a club because I wanted to have one less flight that day. I was so afraid of flying. I would rather drive three hours than do a connection flight I was like, I'm only gonna do one flight a day to get down there. And then getting there on the Friday and then driving houses for 12 hours and then comping houses for 12 hours. And then, you know, not sleeping while I'm there to show up for auction because cramming for auction. Oh, heck yeah, I know. Uh, oh my God. And so doing it in a whole different state, that was a whole lot of risk, a whole lot of effort on, I saw this opportunity, but then, I mean, it would have well, been- You know nothing about the neighborhoods. You have to make sure there's no liens or taxes. Like you have to drive to make sure the house isn't burnt down. I mean, I, there's so much involved. I mean, yeah. but you did it, you know, it's like you took action and you modified and adjusted. And so I just think it's really a cool story, quite frankly, because wherever you're at right now, listening to this, it doesn't matter where, what your circumstances, your circumstance can change, right? Like it, yeah. it, even though you might seem like totally down and out and like, Oh my gosh, it's so horrible. It can change. You know, I, I remember when, you know, I had my best year in real estate. I sold 169 homes. They were all foreclosures, right? Because I worked with like 
Fannie Mae, um, I'm sorry, Freddie Mac, Wachovia, Wells Fargo, like 13 different asset management companies. So we were crushing it. Well, the market got better. All of a sudden I went from 169 houses to 12. Okay. Uh-huh. And like you, I had this full-time assistant and transaction coordinator. And I had, I was a single mom. So I had two kids. Right. And I was like, oh crap, the market just changed. And I really had to, I went on a listing appointment. I, I, I didn't get it. And I says, well, how come you didn't choose me? They go, Krista, we loved you, but the last guy called you the foreclosure queen. And I was all, oh, I am a Are you looking to transform your business? Well, if the answer is yes, then you don't want to miss out on our intensive event starting soon for only $97. This event is jam-packed, full days of live coaching with me. We have breakout sessions to customize and implement our daily trainings so that you can actually utilize them into your business. We're going to give you the training to craft your personal strategy to convert your leads into long-term clients. So let's go. What are you waiting for? Register now. Can't wait to see you there. And let's transform your business. Foreclosure queen. And so I, I literally started studying what are the Fortune 500 companies doing? Like, how are they marketing? And I just revamped everything, right? Yeah. And by revamping and like taking a real look at where I was at and changing it, the next year I was back up to 100 homes and none of them were foreclosures, right? So, I mean, I was like pretty down low, 12 a year. Like that might seem like a lot to some, but it wasn't for me, right? Not with my being a single mom and all that and having two and full-time employees. Like I had to change that. So if you're listening, I mean, Aaron just showed you how twice he went, you know, under and he just revamped himself and now he's like a bazillionaire. And that happened to me twice too, right? It's like, you gotta be willing to take some risks, modify your behavior, adjust and, and just move forward. Yeah. And be open. I love your story too. The, um, when you actually figured out why, and you were like, oh yeah, I do need to change my brand because what you thought was like your experience, I'd done this many deals. They're like, well, you haven't done this type of a deal. It was, and when you're down and out, it's hard, right? It is hard to see the value in the lessons and the things that you learned, but yeah, but I had to stay open. I had to stay open and keep learning and going, what else was I supposed to learn? What else was I supposed to learn? Because there were some big lessons for me to learn. And I felt like as soon as I learned them, the universe opened the door. But then as soon as the door gets opened again, you have to take action like you did at the very first time. It was really easy for me to take action back in like 07 because I was 27 years old and I had, you know, two young kids and I was hungry. And so and I had more energy. So like operating all night and like working all night was easy. Um, having to remind yourself after you've lost it a couple of times, like it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to go through that and learn from it, but then keep your head up and keep trying and keep trying because the, the, uh, the universe will open that again. And then trying to get that confidence back quick to remind yourself, like you can do it no matter what. I remember talking to a friend. Um, so anyone I talked to in like 2013, I was pretty darn depressed. Beginning of 2014, I talked to one of my buddies and I'm telling him the story about like, oh no, last year, man, I lost it all. I'm like, I'm like back at zero. He goes, what happened to your office? He was, he had brought a film crew down and had filmed my office and done some like, you know, flip videos for us in 2012. So he's like, what do you mean you lost it all? And I'm like, oh no, it's, but it's fine. But I'm like laughing as I'm talking to him. And at that time I said, cause I know no matter what, like I'm going to find the next big thing. I found yeah. a couple of big opportunities before. I'm just going to, I know that. It's some just people don't time. know that Aaron. So like you just said, I know, like, that, like I know I'm going to find the best big thing, but some people, they get in this position of failure and they don't, that they don't get that belief. So where do you think that belief comes from that you said, I know there's going to be another opportunity. I think it, it was a process of like grief first. Like I had to go through the grief and lose it. And then actually getting through, there were some moments where it was still like, wow, I, I learned some pretty big things. And, and some of that just comes from faith, right? Like like when you have go in really, really down times, that's when people are going to find their higher power. That's when we, I found God. Like uh, people find their thing that brings them a little bit of faith and hope that like, hey, things are going to be okay. But um it was really even like a story about like Donald Trump or some of the other big business guys we, you know, way before he was president talking about how many times these people filed bankruptcy strategically and then became big business people. Like, like so many big companies have filed bankruptcy multiple times. Like some of the most successful people ever have gone to zero several times. And so there was, as, as I was reading some books kind of in the second of that one, I was able to actually look back and go, you know what? I was eight right now. I don't know what that next big thing is but I know that it's going to be unlocked as long as I keep trying. And during that time, I was trying a whole bunch of different things. Um, But when this one got unlocked, when I looked back and saw like, 
oh wow, this is like 2009 all over again. I knew for sure that was that was the reset finally getting sent yeah. to me. And so I had to go all in. You just got to keep going. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I just think it's just really good lessons here. And another thing I want to point out too, is I think people sometimes look at people that are successful and they just assume that they were always that way. They just assume yeah. that, oh, they're successful because of this and this. It's because, you know, you know, you've got these really cool headphones on. I mean, whatever their, their thing yep. is, right. They don't realize it's because the person has failed many, many times. So they kept getting up, they kept going, they kept believing in themselves. They, they kept just trying. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, I, I just think it's just important to, to like point out because I see that so often when people will just think these things and they don't think that these things can happen to them or they're worth it, but they got to understand that people that are doing these amazing things have failed a ton of times and have seen a lot of heartache. They've just chosen to continue to move forward and adapt and modify. Yeah. Especially with the world of social media, like, yes, I'm going to post my highlight reel, but people are going to yeah. see on social media is they're going to see the coolest stuff that I do. They're going to see the most fun stuff that I do. They're going to see my successes. They're going to see the best travels I go on with my family. I'm going to share my highlight reel. The reason we do that, like, and that's not a bad thing, but just know that everyone is sharing their highlight reel. So if you start comparing yourself to someone's highlight reel, that's bad. I share my highlight reel because the reason I do everything is for the highlight reel. We don't do <laughs> yeah. We don't do it to create the hard times. We don't do it to create. We do it for those amazing moments. So everyone, so I want to focus on the highlight reel. I think people should focus on the highlight reel because we work so hard to have those moments. Like we go through all of the pains and struggles of entrepreneurship in order to have those moments. So we are supposed to share those. If we only focus on the crap, if I only focus on losing it all in 2013, I never would have been able to come back. I had to start focusing on that highlight reel. So I think that's actually the healthy part about social media and the highlight reel that maybe people don't think about because you can compare yourself to someone else's and go, my life isn't as good as theirs or man, it must be nice to be Aaron. His life is really successful. Yeah, I posted, um, I went to prison when I was 20. So we don't have enough time to really go too far. <laughs> but I posted that on my Instagram like a year ago. I was like, here's a picture of me when I was 20 at a prison in Southern California. This, you know, this young little white kid. And people were like, oh my gosh. Like we would have never guessed yeah, that yeah. it would turn out to be. And I was like, and this isn't even my worst story. That's not even the worst bottom. That's the one that resonates with people more when they see that picture. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh my gosh. Like, it's like, believe me, losing my stuff in 2013 was worse or almost getting divorced in 20, in 2015 was worse. Like the, but we have those ups and downs. We focus on the highlight reel. When you see someone else's highlight reel, like you should drive to create that, but don't get discouraged when it's not there every time. Well, comparison is the thief of joy. I don't know who said that, but it's totally. not my quote, but comparison is the thief of joy. And number two, how many times do you see people on social media? Like, oh my God, my wife is so wonderful. And I'm so in love. And then two weeks later, they're like filing for divorce and fighting over the cats, right? Like that is like, it's fake book, not Facebook. I, I personally love to be like, oh, I screwed this one up today. Because people appreciate imperfection, you know? So, and, and if you're listening to this, like be authentic. <laughs> Don't always just try to be like full of crap because people know it, you know? So Aaron, this has been awesome. And I do want to find out later about what, why you, um, why you went to jail, but you want to just tell us real quick why you went to jail? <laughs> um, yeah, I, if, if we got to, so funny, it, it's, I was from a small town in Southern Oregon. I was, uh, you know, I wasn't really good at making friends and being social. The The town I was in, I was like, I, I graduated from high school with a bunch of people that I was, you know, went to preschool with. So I wasn't really good at meeting people. And I went, I went off to college, partied too much, did too many drugs, did all sorts of different things and had this um, almost like a bet going with a guy one day. So a buddy of mine we're hanging out with, we're partying too much. He owes me some money. I'm giving him a hard time about it. He goes, you know what? I'm going to get you your money today drive me down to this bank and I'll go in and I'm going to go in and rob it and give you the money back. He's thinking that I am going to call his bluff and say, no, I'm thinking he, it was like a game of chicken. He, thought he was kidding. We both thought each other were kidding, but we were waiting for what we didn't want to be the not cool kid. So we were waiting for the other person to call it off. Neither of us thought it was actually going to happen. At the end of the day, it happened. Um, he went in there and robbed the damn bank. He went in and robbed a bank. He came out. I had more money in a bank account in that bank than he came out with. Stupid 20-year-old kid. Man, uh, some crazy lessons. Turned ourselves in uh, the next day. Um, oh my yeah. God. But for a kid like me that was from a small town in Southern Oregon getting sent to a Southern California uh, federal penitentiary, it was crazy. 
were you in there? Two years, two, like, yeah, a little over two years. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. So crazy and so nutty. And the, the, the best part, the reason I like to share that story is because again, we talked a little bit about if you're at your bottom, though, you know, the, the world is still going to be, you know, so much opportunity. So I've had three resets, if you get to count that yeah. one. And what's so funny is, is when people think about that one, they go like, oh, life will never get worse than that. It's like, well, no, life can get better or can get worse from wherever you were, but you got to learn from it wherever you can and, and go with what's next and then not take life for granted. Yeah. I would never imagine you in prison for two years. No. Oh, that would really, I love to share that story as a story of hope for other people, because if a scrawny little kid like me can go survive that and then turn out to be okay afterward, anybody can. But that's why now we value experiences over things so much. Yeah. If I'm going to go to an event, I'm going to go front row. If I'm going to go do something, we're going to do it because no one can ever take your memories away. When we lost all of our money a couple different times, we never regretted the trips that we took. We, re we regretted the stuff we bought. We, we regretted the cars. We regretted the expensive sunglasses. We never regretted the trips that we took with each other or with our family. So we just said from then on, experiences over things, whenever we can, we're going to do front row. This has been awesome. And don't hang up once, once I stop recording. But Aaron, Aaron Malala. <laughs> Aaron A. Aaron A. Aaron A. From Real Estate Rockstars Podcast. And flipping more homes than you can imagine owning more rentals 500 rentals that's just awesome um this has been such an inspiration i've absolutely enjoyed myself and i don't want to stop but we need to because coming up to the hour but i need to ask i always ask everyone at the very end um what piece of advice one piece of advice would you give people i kind of think you already have but at our listeners whether it's personal or business before we leave i would i would highlight again that very last thing i said is you will never regret choosing experiences over things so if you've got an opportunity to create an epic experience for somebody, for a birthday, for 4th of July, for anything, and you're trying to think, do I do this or not? Always choose the experience. You'll never regret doing the experience over things. Oh, I so appreciate it. And listen, everyone, thank you so much for spending your time. And Aaron, thank you. You were amazing. I just appreciate you being on here. I know you're a super busy man. So thank you, everyone. Give him a little high five for what a great job you did. So thank you, thank you. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate you spending this your, your time with us. Remember, action, take action. I think our biggest lesson from today is that no matter where you're at in life, things can get better, but you've got to take action. You've got to try and you cannot give up. Thank you so much for your time. Make it a great day. I hope you're just as fired up as I am. I'll see you next time.